Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome back to That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. I've met 10 incredible marketing leaders so far for this podcast, and they've had some amazing stories to tell and some great lessons in leadership. So in today's episode, I've pulled together some of these lessons. From lessons you learn early as a leader to mistakes CMOs can make when they get to that top spot. I hope you find this collection of lessons in leadership helpful. And first up today is managing partner of the brand gym, John Goldstone, who shares a lesson he learned early as a leader. Uh, I talked about it a little bit before. I, th- I think I was quite a kind of a, a sort of lone wolf marketeer for, for quite a while. Bit of a one man band. I was kind of happiest when it was just me, if I was really honest. And um I remember really being called up upon it when I was at, at PepsiCo. So I was kind of early 30s, I suppose. So I'd, I'd been at it for like a, a decade by then, I suppose. And um, I had a team and, and and the business was going unbelievably well. Um, and I thought I'm on for like, a, like the best rating ever here, you know, big bonus and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I got massively pinged down on my on my rating and didn't get any kind of bonus. Because my team had done like these 360 feedback oh, yeah. uh, surveys. And they'd basically all said that I was just a dick. <laughs> um, and that, you know, it was all about me. And, you know, I did all the presentations, the sales team. I took the credit for everything. And um, and it was really hard feedback at the yeah. time. It stuff at the time. But honestly, I, 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 I listened. I got a kind of personal coaching um, and I just transformed the way that I thought about leading to, to, to be honest. And I'd, I'd never really been trained in that stuff, you know, and, and I'd just come out of the, you know, a bonkers time when I'd been working in, uh, Croatia of all places, which is like yeah. the wild west, you know, so I I'd, I'd picked up some really bad habits as well. So I think that was my other failure, really not to see the, the, the power of taking others with you you know, um, empowering others to do great things and, and, and that, that whole, that whole kind of transition from it's all about me kind of, you know, childhood state into it's kind of all about us kind yeah. of adult state. And I think all marketeers go through that transition and I, I've really helped people, you know, coach people through that transition, um, in later, in later years. But, um, I found that really, that really hard to, to do. And that's probably. When I look back, my my kind of biggest um, failure is is more of a kind of a leadership failure, failure rather than a sort of if you like marketing yeah. um, sort of discipline. CMO of Miro, Paul Darcy, talks about approaching building out a team and creating an army of experts. Marketing is um, it, it's it's like this um, like army of experts who have a really different mix of of deep deep skills, but that are highly varied. Like you know. In the marketing team at Miro or at Indeed, it's like we've got people who are incredibly deep technical experts in SEO and writers and people who do internal communications and are expert in employee comms. Uh, and then people who do demand gen type work or brand work or who are copywriters or, or you know, creative people. I've got a significant video team and motion graphics team at Miro. And so it's a really wide variety of skills and capabilities. And so um, I, I think... 
like one of the first things is when, when, when I start to build, it's just bringing in great people um, who have deep expertise in the areas that we need to know things and be uh, really good at. And, and that really is the starting point. And then being really clear on the strategy, like our model of marketing and, and the impact that we want to have and how we're going to have it. And then, you know, resourcing teams to, to be able to do that. But th- that for me is a starting point. It's probably different in different businesses, but for me, it's always tends to start with, with functional expertise. And then once you get up to a certain level, it's then how do you really kind of integrate that across teams and functions? And that becomes kind of the next level of the challenge. Yeah, because that gets kind of into, I guess, complexity, right, then as well, because you have those expertise and then how do you pull things together as, as a team grows? It's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not straightforward. It's, and it's, I think it's so different too for every business. Like, you know, I, I mean, I think one of my like learnings as a marketer is that every business's marketing problems are really different and what marketing needs to look like and what you need to build is really, really different. I certainly have seen that from, you know, Miro to, to Indeed and that change. So, um, yeah, and, and it's, it's always, it's ever changing, especially in fast growing businesses. Um, where where it's just maybe a completely different organization instead of business challenges every nine months. Yes, yeah, and that's hard to hire in front of, I, I guess, in some ways, because you may not necessarily know what's what's to come. And then it's like, never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what do we need now? Um, in building the, the, the teams that you've built and, and you... You, you think about culture, and I know this from, from, what are those kind of cultural beliefs that you think are really important in a marketing team? I think there's a few things. I mean, I think that, first of all, the, um, I mean, I think just in general, like leading people, like to me, is has always felt like a really enormous responsibility. Um, and, you know, you want to create an environment that's like meaningful in people's lives and where they can be set up for success um, and have real impact, but always this is happening in a context of like chaos in the world, the organization, what other people are doing. And, and that chaos is always like exponentially higher and fast growing businesses. And so, um, I, I think for me, like, um, and, and, and like right now in the world, it's, it's even, even higher because of that. And, you know, also in a world where we're often interacting remotely, where culture is really hard. I mean, I, th- I think for me, like, um, there's a few things. One, culture starts with hiring the right people, and in particular, the right leaders. Um, and that's something that at different points in my career, I've gotten for sure right and wrong. Um, but hiring someone with really strong leadership skills um, is really, really key. Like, for sure, we need to figure out what we stand for in a type of marketing organization we want to be. And, you know, I, I get a lot of influence in that, in leading marketing and hiring people, um, and also in, in how we communicate and what we reward in organizations. Um, you know, I, I think for me, it's um, have, have always wanted to have teams that have ownership and kind of autonomy um, so that they can solve clear problems. Um, I do really um, b- believe in kind of data and, and metrics as being a, a, an incredibly liberating thing for, for people in that 
um, subjective opinion. It tends not to be fair and equitable and create equal opportunity across organizations and teams and in culture, um, you know, having clarity around what we're trying to move and drive and aligning work to that, I think is really valuable. Uh, and then I do, you know, how people treat each other is really important to me. I, I want to work in an environment where, where people are kind and collaborative and supportive and helpful and able to solve problems together and view each other as like partners in doing things and not competitive in the way we do things across like all teams and functions. And so, you know, that I think culturally is really important to me. Co-founder and CMO of Gym Plus Coffee, Dermot McSweeney, reflects on the importance of focus. We've known that there's more to this brand um, because of the way people connected it, but also how we spoke about it. So it's just that in the first five years, uh, it's hard enough building a clothing brand. So, uh, you know, our clothing business, <laughs> we haven't even gone near, we haven't even gone near coffee yet. Um, and it's in the name. So, um there's lots of different opportunities for us. There's actually, to be honest, the, the challenge over the last few years has been that there's too many opportunities um, and we're a small team. So opportunities are great, but not when they're distracting and not right. when they're so fleeting. So actually some of the work that we've been do- doing over the last few months is how do we have a structure or a process or at least a kind of an evaluation period to t- test new things? Because for all the best instincts in the world we could be wrong as well you know so um i think what we've been working on the last while is how do we investigate some of these new categories or new ideas or just initiatives we have and if they don't work we just bin them and forget yeah them. yeah um but, but there it's my belief i i, I hope I, I hope i'm uh, not wrong but I, i'm i'm pretty sure my gut that i i know that people have this relationship with jimpus coffee so i think there are some areas that we'll be able to go across category um we just probably haven't proven which ones. <laughs> Damien Devani reflected on his time at Bailey's and how he looked at building the team by focusing on hand-picking the right people. Okay. I decided to do something different. It was grown at 4%. It was profitable. And I, I always felt it had higher potential in this country. I think people love the brand. And I sort of sat down one day and said, what could this be? And um, I thought, this is a brand that everybody wants to work on. And I think we could relook at the strategy and really do something special. So I, I handpicked, not agencies, I handpicked individuals from around town. Okay. Right? Who I thought were the best for this job. And I handpicked or recruited people internally that normally wouldn't, like from sales and from finance, who normally wouldn't be sort of focused too much on Baileys because they were at their own jobs. And we formed a thing called the Fast Track Team. Okay. And it was the first time after all these years, can you imagine all of those years that I really understood consumer strategy? It was the first time to really, really get to the nub of the fact that Bailey's had been on, I think the, the strategy wasn't the optimal one. It was recruitment plus, you could call it. Right. And we identified a new strategy, which was consumption frequency, but we understood why it was consumption frequency. And it was before the famous dweeb, but we understood what were the barriers and drivers to consumption frequency. Um, and then we did something that was never done before there, which was if your strategy is right and the brand's right and your team are right, we spent a lot of time forming the team and we took high performance models from the brilliant Emerge. Uh, she's left us now, but Anime Driscoll, God rest her, was an amazing, amazing uh, um, 
influence on all of us in Gilby's around leadership and high performance teams. And we structured that team to identify what was the objective, what was the strategy, what was the benefit for success for each individual in the team, okay. not just their companies, but them. And how were we going to do something exceptional together? And that raised the standard of what we were expecting of each other. Now, this took a number of months and my bosses are going, what are you, what's your man doing? You know, like, can you just get on and get on with it? But I instinctively knew, you know, that this was an opportunity to spend more time on that strategy development and vision piece. Um, and when we were right, I, I went to present it to the board of uh, Diageo Europe at the time. And I said, look, give me an extra million euro and I give you back in one year. And with the extra market share, yeah. equity, et cetera. And they jumped at, they jumped at it and they said, well, this fella's mad. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, because, but, but I, I didn't feel, I didn't, I didn't feel so much that we were on thin ice. I just felt the pressure to do it and do it well. And we did it. Um, so we put in a plan that was off the charts in terms of a huge execution against very clear drivers all happening simultaneously. So you're putting all your ships on black and right. we went from 4 to 25% growth. Um, and, and, and that, that should have changed your career because once you look yeah. at an elastic band, aren't you? Once you stretch, you never really go back to the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your expectations remarkable. are different. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and people see an opportunity to maybe give you a shot at different things. So, so along your career, not always, but sometimes there are opportunities to stretch. And when you do that, working with the right people, you know you can trust um, on the clear strategy. Then my view is always go big. You know, don't go, don't be a gardener. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I don't mean risky and I don't mean being irresponsible. But if the opportunity is there, why, why go at 4%? Why yeah. move from 4 to 7 when you get, can get a 25? Um, and it makes it more enjoyable, I suppose. Next, Kay McCarthy, founder of MCCP, talks about finding your right-hand box and the importance of finding opposing views. And I love in in that story how you kept coming back to the things that were giving you almost like the most energy. That's wonderful. Yeah, I call it the top right-hand box, kind right. of. So I always get myself a little square and write, what do I love doing? Yeah. What am I really good at? Because it's very hard for yourself to know what you're really good at. Obviously, you get all the feedback. But, you know, I'm not one of those people who kind of, you know, I'm brilliant at this. But what do I love doing? And what don't I love doing? And I put some of that on the right and what I don't love on the left. What am I really good at? So I get feedback from people I really trust. And what do I need to learn to be good at that's necessary to be good at, at my in my role? And kind of I get that get that quarter really right. Yeah. And then I say, if I, if I really go for this, and I also do believe in investing the hours in it, like nobody's naturally, very few people are naturally good at anything. It's, it's a percent, you know, a very small percent. And really finding the right place to learn those hours and to put those hours in, that you'll get the right reward in return. So that's, you know, the company you keep, literally your colleagues, you know, are these people, you know, that you will learn a lot from mentoring are these, you know, your bosses, somebody who'll give you the time, who will help you learn um, the stimulus you're going to get 
get there, their agency partners, the landscape. And then I will work outside of that myself to make sure I do to fill the gaps. So when you're passionate, you know, you're not working anymore. It's, you're doing what you love and you're therefore very committed. Um, and if it's if it's all stuff that's on the left hand side, stuff I don't like doing, it's going to be really hard oh, yeah. work. It's a long day when that's the last. A long yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we all know it's a long day enough anyway. Yeah. So you've got to make sure you love it as, as opposed to wasting that time, you know. It's even funny as you're saying that I actually find when I'm if I'm interviewing somebody for a role, you know, that could be on my team or something, I'm looking for that as well. Like the how can I learn from this person? Because I know exactly. I don't know it, you know, and I know yeah. my journey was not linear, so I'm still learning as I as I yeah, go. We're all still learning. Yeah. I think if you meet someone who thinks they know it all, you know, you're probably talking to the wrong person. You know, where <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning loads. And I learn lots from people who are much younger than me and my mm. colleagues and, and clients as much as people who are a lot more, actually, than people who are maybe slightly older than me yeah. uh, and may have more because of their life experience. I think people who grew up now are used to very different experiences. It's not, it's not to say that experience from the past, like it's absolutely huge and and we can't forget that people, you know, there's an ageist thing in, in our category yeah. and there's a huge amount of expertise out there from people. But if you fuse that with new experience, you're really onto something because you start to challenge some conventions and yes. it gets you to think and the answer may not be either of them. But at least it gets you to think what could be, uh, as opposed to what was or what is. National Lottery CMO Paul Durvin looks to create a culture of trust with the principle of being hard on the work, not on the people. I have like a number of beliefs that I've kind of over time um, um, found useful. Uh, values, behaviours, things like that. So, yeah. so for example, when it comes to marketing, um, one which I stole from Russell, the... Uh, Creative director and indeed when I heard him, which is this idea that you need to be hard on the work but easy on each other, and uh, and I really like that. Yeah. I I think it is easy to get into scraps about like you know you're looking at some work you don't think it's any good, you know, um, and but the truth of the matter is a lot of the stuff can be quite difficult. It's really hard to do really good work, uh, and so you know we we hard on the work. Is, is great in the sense that we just can't accept as a group, as a team, stuff that just isn't good enough. Right. And, and so let's not, out of politeness, accept it. Um, somebody's worked hard on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's not go, okay, it's good enough because it, it could be better, but let's find a way as a team to understand that we're just talking about the work, not about the people who made the work, not about anything else, just yeah. that personally, don't think the work is good enough. Now, to do that means everybody has to have a decent high benchmark about what good is. And so, so I do have some strong beliefs around the idea that like everybody has to get to a certain knowledge base and, and, and there's certain things. So one of my beliefs that we, we spoke about when I started there was you got to study the past. You got to study the past because in the past, we'll see lots of you know, empirical evidence and all sorts of other things that help us understand what good could be. Um, and also, I am, um, <clears throat> when I was writing the book, I uh, interviewed Professor Tim Ambler, who's like one of the most famous effectiveness people around. And he wrote Marketing the Bottom Line. And he, he gave me a great quote, which is great marketers don't always know what to do, but they know what not to do. 
And, and I think it's really good because you, you kind of know which mistakes not to stumble over if you, you know, if you, if you spent enough time studying the past. Um, you know, and, and obviously <laughs> I've made a lot of those mistakes, but I've, again, uh, I'm at the stage now where at least I know what those mistakes are. The other one that is probably the most is a, I had six ones that we kind of, we talked about, but the, the other one, like one is share early and often we could talk about it if you want, but the, the one that I, that I, that I care most about is this ability to change your mind. So the way we describe it, and like someone's asked me, you know, if there was one thing to take from your book, what would it be? And I was there, if you can learn to enjoy, you can learn to enjoy finding out that you were wrong. That is the single most probably useful thing that will help you make better decisions. And so what we try and do on the team is help everybody understand that when the evidence or the facts or anything else suggests that that the direction we're going is wrong or the decision we've made is wrong, not only not only can you change your mind, you're you're expected to and don't feel bad about that. You know? So how do you get people to that point? Because that you know that is a I think we're all trained to be right. Like even in school, like kids are thought that, you know, you learn, you get a test, and then you get a mark out of ten. And, you know, the two wrong answers is a bad thing. You know, so how do you, as a team, kind of change that mentality? Yeah, it's true, because I think we are hardwired. We're hardwired to feel bad about making mistakes. And instead of going, oh, that's interesting, we we actually, we often jump to defend it as a, as a kind of an impulse, even yeah. before we figured out why. So we're like, no, you're wrong. And then we come up with reasons why they're wrong. Um, uh, and, and so it's actually, it's probably hardwired into our systems to go the opposite direction. Um, I, I think it has to start from the leadership down. I think people have to understand the, the benefit of discovering you're wrong. I think it's like, I don't think people should feel ashamed when they make a mistake. You know, like there's a thing in marketing is if you haven't made any mistakes in marketing, you haven't made any decisions in marketing and, and made anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I wouldn't feel ashamed about making mistakes. I think it's just part of the process. I think it's, it's a pity if you make a mistake and you don't learn from it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of cliche, but it's true. Like if you, um, it, you know, there's a great, there's a great quote, which I stole from my book, um, um, which is this idea that your decision making, it's not, you shouldn't base whether it was a good decision just on the result. You should base it on the process you went through. Uh, and the, the example that, that I stole from someone, I, it's a chapter in my book, which is this idea that wearing a seatbelt is a good, is a good decision. Just because you got home, just say you didn't wear one and got home and didn't crash doesn't mean you made a good decision you just yeah. got lucky you just got yeah. lucky and, and so so how learning to evaluate the decisions we made um and why we made them and how we can do better is kind of part of the process and paul feldwick takes a look at the other side of a marketer's career when they become cmos and thinking they need to change it all it's frequently disastrous i mean i'm sure we've all seen examples of this um and uh you know, I mean, I've told that, um, yeah, I mean, I can't think of a recent one, but, um, well, I mean, I, I, don't know, I wrote a piece that uh, you can find it on LinkedIn, I think, where I sometimes write articles and publish them because it's easy to do, um, about um, there's a, a UK hotel brand called 
um, Premier Inn. Yeah. And um, they actually had a, a very successful campaign well, it featured Lenny Henry, started it's- about 10 years ago. Um, Lenny Henry as the presenter, and some of the ads were good, some of the ads were not very good, but on the whole, it was a very successful campaign because everybody knew it was Lenny Henry. Yep. Everybody associated, uh, they liked Lenny Henry, they associated him with Premier Inns um, in, in a very sort of, in a market where, you know, people still go and stay at a Premier Inn and think they've stayed at a travel lodge, you know, the people get these things mixed up. Yeah. He was beginning to do do something for this. Um, and then just as it was really beginning to take off, uh, a new marketing director came in. <laughs> and of course, predictably, the first thing they did was fire the agency. <laughs> and the new agency, of course, are not going to, the new agency do not win the account by saying, we'd like to stay with they Lenny could, Henry, yeah. chuck Lenny Henry out the window. They do something completely different. And they faff around doing a lot of very, very clever, clever adverts, um, which don't really achieve very much at all. <laughs> Um, and then eventually another marketing director comes in and fires that agency and then they appoint another agency and they've now got an agency who are um, using Lenny Henry as a voiceover. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe Lenny Henry doesn't want to do it anymore. I don't know. You know, there's always possibilities in which case the, the, the voiceover might be the next best thing, but you know, um, Unless it's that, I think it's it's a sort of sad saga of they had something great and they they just threw it threw it away for no for no reason at all and we see this happen so often um, and as you say it's the mark of a truly great CMO that they come in see something that's working and say we'd be mad to get rid yeah. of particular aspect of it. And finally, Ema McCarthy, head of brand with Wayflyer, reminds us it's important to have fun. The Hamadad, the guy in the photo booth with the hair, like the comb And, and just, just the music. Yeah. It's like, and, and even now, like, when I have that Hamlet moment where, like, shit's just hit the fan, I can hear that music go <laughs> down. Ding, ding, ding. And you have a little laugh to yourself, don't you? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I think... Um, sense of humor in advertising is really important on it and um that hamlet ad for some reason has always stuck with me yeah that's a brilliant example and i sense of humor we've talked about it a lot but i think it's really important people talk about emotion emotional advertising and the importance of emotion and i you know it often ends up being emotion oh we need people to you know tug at the heartstrings it's the feels Right. And it's like, oh, God, more piano music. Here we go. (laughs) But it's lovely to see, you know, a a brand that's able to have. And even though, too, while it wasn't humor, it looked for different emotions, I think, as well. Like Florence and the Machine was, you know, about joy and, you know, coming together and, um, you know, Play Them Next was about, again, probably, well. Participation. Participation. Yeah. So wonderful. And, you know, but it's great to, to, get to speak to you and someone who's working in a brand that actually humor is important as an emotion. So it is. Yeah. It's important, but it's a, it's hard work and very very hard work and costs a lot of money and costs a lot of time. And so, and I would never, um, I would never sell short how difficult it is to have a funny brand. It's very hard. 
Well, that's it for me in this shorter episode of That's What I Call Marketing. I hope you enjoyed hearing these lessons in leadership from some global marketing leaders. You can, of course, listen to the full interviews with any of these amazing marketers on That's What I Call Marketing. Next time, we'll be back to another full-length interview. So until then, thanks for listening.